So we are going to continue with the curses that God warns the Jewish people will fall upon them if they will not walk in the ways of God, if they will not listen to the Torah and to do the mitzvot. And as it says repeatedly over and over, if we will go in the ways of God, be carry, we will act to God with carry. What does carry mean? Rashi explains that carry is, a, is like um, not caring and acting uh, indifferent to Hashem. Ungulus explains that it's a, from the uh, uh, expression of hardness. We act stubborn and we fight against God. Different expressions of carry, but the point is we act in a way where not just we don't only, we don't only listen, but emotionally we detach ourselves. We resist God, we fight God, we make God not important. As a result of that, God says, since you were stubborn against me, I am going to turn my attention towards you to give you punishment and to give you the consequences of your behavior that you will suffer as a result. As already mentioned, the suffering in Judaism, it's not even the Hasidic interpretation, but basic explanation that suffering is not because God is a vengeful God looking to make us suffer. The suffering is our cleansing process. This is part of our tshuva and our tikkun for fixing what went wrong. So if we have blemishes in our soul, either we atone for it in this world or in the next world. So suffering in this world is an atonement and a cleansing for any uh, negativity, any sins, any uh, sins that we've done, we behave in the improper way before God. And as a result of that, we go through this cleansing process of the curses that are described. So continuing with the next group of seven curses. Hashem says, if you will still continue not to listen to me, and continue to go with me in this way of carrying, the way of being irregular and uncommitted to me. Then I'm going to, and by the way, each group of seven gets more and more intense. Then I will treat you with furious stubbornness. And, number one, you ready for these really bad ones? This is one of the worst. You will eat the flesh of your sons, and you will eat the flesh of your daughters. Which is pretty painful. It's a state of tremendous famine and hunger. A person is so desperate for food, that they're willing to eat their child for food. And this is not just a statement, it's a historical fact that happened during the times of the siege of the first base of Migdash. Such a uh, terrible famine. You know the story, the history is a very sad time in our history. When the Jews had enough food in Jerusalem to survive the, Roman, the, the, the siege. And then what happened? For the second time, actually. And then the, uh, the, there were people that were fighting. Within the Jews, there was disagreement. If we should fight the Romans or we should submit to the Romans. And the, 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 the rebels that wanted to fight burnt down the storage houses. And the Jews would have no choice but to fight. And in that siege, there was such a terrible famine that literally people were dying of hunger. They were eating their children in order to survive. Stories, stories recorded like that. They were fighting over their children. They came to, I forgot which kingdom they came. They, they said, we made a deal that yesterday two people said we'd eat your, the other person's child. And today we'd agreed that we'd, we'd eat my child. And today we'll eat this person's child. Yesterday I shared my child with this other person. They didn't, I should just clarify, they didn't kill their children. Their children died of hunger. They died of hunger, they were eating the flesh of their children, which is still unbelievably sad. And yesterday we ate the flesh of my child and I share with him, and today he won't share the flesh of his child with me. You can imagine what kind of situation the Jews were in for that to happen. Number two, I will demolish your tall and your fortified edifices. Why? Because on the top of these towers was idols. So I'm going to destroy these towers, and the idols that are upon them will fall to the ground. Number three, I will make your corpses fall upon the corpses of your smashed idols. So 
not only will it be in the children, but the corpses of the Jews that have sinned will fall upon the idols. This also happened, by the way, with a very sad story in, with Eliyahu and Navi. Elijah the prophet also lived in a time of tremendous famine. Also, if you know the history of Eliyahu and Navi, with the kingdom of the north of Israel, where the Jews were sinning terribly under King Ahav, and he warned them that if they're going to keep on sinning, there'll be a drought. There was a terrible drought, a terrible hunger. And then one day, Eliyahu was walking in the streets, and he saw a boy, a young boy, was rocking back and forth on the garbage dump, like looking for food. He was so weak. So Eliyahu Navi turns to this little boy in the garbage, and he says to him, do you have any family alive? Any relatives? So he says, no, all of my family died from hunger, only I am left. So Eliyahu Navi says to this boy, on the, searching for food in the garbage, his stomach was bloated with hunger. So he said to him, do you want to learn a verse? Hashem will help you. He says, yes, I do. So he says, repeat after me. And the Leon Nevi starts to tell the boy, Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Alechad. And the boy hears the Leon Nevi saying, Shema says, no, I can't say that. My parents didn't let me say that. Well, you would worship this idol instead. And as he, right away, as the boy said that, he pulled an idol out of his uh, shirt. And he started to kiss the idol that he had been taught to kiss instead of saying Shema. At that moment, his stomach exploded from hunger and he fell onto the dead, onto the idol he was kissing, he fell on top of the dead idol. So this, this curse, that your corpse will fall on the idols, it happened. Number four, my soul, meaning God's Shekhinah, the presence of Hashem, will reject you by departing from the Jewish people. Number five, I will destroy your city so completely that even passerbys will find no reason to enter the cities. Meaning, we won't just be destroyed cities. Such destruction it would be like there's nothing even there, like they won't even want to come in. Number six is that not only will the cities be destroyed, there won't be visitors, the holy places, the mikdash, your holy places, Hashem does not even put his name, does not associate with his name with the, with the base of mikdash. He says, your, your holy places will be destroyed, and number, they'll be raised to the ground. And number seven, I will not be able to get any pleasure to smell the pleasing fragrance of the offerings that you will bring up to me over there. And says Hashem, and if you will, despite all these punishments, you will still continue to sin, I'll make it even worse. I will make you so deserted, I'll make the land desolate of, of all inhabitants, and you will be deserted amongst your enemies, meaning you'll be scattered. I will scatter you amongst the nations, which even though being, being scattered is a curse, because when you go into exile as a group, even though you're in exile and you're suffering, but at least you have the emotional support of each other. So when you see your friends, you see people you know, so at least you can comfort each other and support each other. But when you're scattered, the izara, the word the izara means like, for like when you take the shaft and you like throw it in the wind, right? It's like thrown all over the place. So too, the Jews are scattered all over, which is where the Jews are today. You don't even have the emotional support. It's like one Jew, like, you know how many, the only Jew, you know how many Jewish kids here in Coral Springs? Say, I'm the only Jewish kid in my class. Right? They think that they're the only Jew. Now, of course, there's other Jewish kids. Right? When you're in high school, did you say that? I have one Jewish friend in the whole school. Every, the whole school, like, only Jewish kid is me and one other kid. Now, of course, it's not true. Statistically, that's not true. But that's the way the Jew feels, that he thinks that I'm the only Jewish person. They feel isolated and vulnerable, which makes the suffering of the exile far more difficult. He said, Hashem, I will unsheath the sword after you persistently. When you take a sword out of its sheath and you use it to kill, you don't put it back in until it till uh, kills many, many people. And your land will be desolate. 
since you will despair of ever returning to it, you will view your cities as if they have been totally destroyed. So there's desolate, and then when they're so destroyed that you feel in your mind like I'm never going to be able to return there. So it's not just that the city is just destroyed now, but one day I'll return, I'll rebuild it. The Jews will feel like they have no hope of ever returning back to these lands. Why? Hashem interrupts the number now to, to explain. Why will the land be desolate? Because then the land will be appeased for all of the sabbatical years, the Shemitah years, that the Jewish people did not observe the laws of Shemitah and the laws of Yehul. So therefore, as a total of 70 years of Shemitah and Yehul that were not observed, and therefore the Jewish people went to exile in Babylonia for 70 years, but the prophecy that was given is that in 70 years, I think it was Yirmiyot, if I'm not mistaken, that after 70 years, then the Jewish people will return back over here, because then the land will have finished being appeased for all of those years that they did not keep the laws of Shemitah properly. Rashi has a very interesting, very lengthy you know, countdown, like a calculation of all the years. Basically, I'll try to make it not too complicated, but it's interesting. So basically, you have from when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel till the exile is, anyone knows? 850 years. So obviously, not all 850 years. Okay, so how many Shemitahs is there? So every, every 50 years, you have seven years of Shemitah, right? 749. And one Yovel year, one Jubilee year. So every 50 years is eight years. Sorry, is, yes, eight years of land, of years when the land needs to be allowed to rest. Correct? So in 100 years, it's 16. In 850 years, it would be, who's good at math? If 100 is 16, what's eight times, eight times 16? Come on, Robert, you're good at math. 128. 128 plus another 50. So you had 130, 34, 37. So obviously it's not, um, so obviously it's not a, uh, a, uh, for all these Jews in Israel. So Rashi explains that during the years that the Jews were living, um, uh, in, in, and before the separation of the kingdom of the north, you have 360, let me go look at the calculator, 390 years from when they entered until the exile of the Jews in the northern part of Israel. So we're not going to count after that because the land was not already inhabited by Jews. The northern part of the land of Israel was already taken over. So you have 390, um, so, okay, so 390 years. Then after that, I, I take it back. So 390 years when the Jews sinned, they didn't keep the laws of Shemitah. And then the Jews of Yehuda did keep the laws of Shemitah, minus, minus another 40 years. He brings a proof from Yechezkel, who was told that he would have to suffer 390 days for the 390 years. On his left side he was sick, then he would turn over to his right side another 40 days for the other, uh, for the other sins that were committed, not in the combined united kingdom of Israel, but in only the kingdom of Yehuda. And then Rashi goes through each king, 11 years from this king. I'm not going to go through it, it's going to be too much. Then six more years of Tzidkiyahu, until the seventh year of the kingdom of Tzidkiyahu, which would have been the 70th Shemitah, that's when the Jews went to exile, even before the 70th year. Basically, if you do the math, 346, 300, sorry, not, no, sorry, four, 390 plus 40 is 430. Right? What's 430? How many Shemitah years is that? You're thinking 400? Do 400 divided by 400 is 16 every 100 years, right? So 16 times 4 is 64. Plus another 30? 
No, plus another 30, not, no. 64, 64 plus another 30, another, 64 plus another 40 years. It's 7, 14, 21, 28, 35, 42. So it's another 6 years. Right? Plus, in the end, before the next, that's 6 years. So 34 plus 6 is? 40. 40. No. 64, sorry, 64. 64. Okay, it's getting way too complicated. But 64, 64 plus 6 is? 70. And before the end of the next Shemitah year, it's when the Jews went into exile. You got it? I said it correctly, I believe, but it's, it's whatever. It's a very complicated Rashi, but it's interesting. Anyway. And the point is, so the Torah is telling to us, there's two reasons why the Jews went into exile. First reason why they went into exile is because for these 70 years of Shemitah and Yovel, when they should have trusted in God and listened to God, not to plow and to work and to work in the land, and instead they did work in the land, so that's the exile. The second reason is because, so that's the first reason, therefore, when the land will be appeased for not resting in Shemitah, that's when we'll do it. The second reason is because the Jews worship <coughs> idols. And therefore Hashem says that because you worship idols, we'll continue the counting here, as those of you who survived the harassment of exile are bring a fear into your hearts. The fear will make you so paranoid that you'll hear a rustling, rustling leaf and you're going to imagine that there's enemies chasing after you, trying to kill you. And therefore you will become so afraid you will not be able to stand up against your enemies. In addition, you'll become lost to one another, having been scattered amongst the nations. And those of you who do survive on account of their sin will waste away in the land of their enemies, and finally they will confess their sins. And here comes the ending. Those who remain amongst you will confess. They'll be wiped, they'll be you know, ruined because of their sins, and they're going to confess and realize that the reason why we went into exile is Allah. Because of our unfaithfulness to Hashem, how we worship idols, instead of believing in God and worshiping God and being one with God, instead we were distracted by all the other idols of all the other nations around, both that we rebelled against God, that we were unfaithful to God, and how our fathers were unfaithful to God, and that they all went against God. Therefore Hashem says, so too I will treat them with the stubbornness and bring them to the land of their enemies. And then their clogged heart will become humbled. Then they're going to realize the, 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 the intensity of their sin, how by going to other idols, they will have hurt God, and in their suffering, they will recognize their mistake and they become humbled to confess and to come to appease before God for their iniquity. And then to Hashem, V'zacharti, I will remember the covenant that I made with Yaakov. And I will remember even what I made with Yitzchak. And even the covenant that I made with Avram, I will remember, and the earth will remember, meaning the earth will also remember that I made a promise to the land. Hashem promised to give the land of Israel to the Jewish people. So there's four things in this verse. God said, number one, I'll remember the covenant of Jacob, of Yaakov. Number two, he mentions Yitzchak. Number three is Avraham, the covenant of the God said to Avraham. Number four, the covenant of the God with the actual land of Israel to bring us out of our exile and to bring us back to the promised land. You'll notice the order is backwards. Start with Yaakov and end with Avram. Meaning that even Yaakov alone is worthy to save the Jewish people. Just Yaakov, even without Yitzchak, without Avram, because he had the 12 tribes. 
And even if not, Yitzchak alone is worthy to bring, 12, to bring redemption to the Jewish people. And if not, Avram alone is worthy to bring redemption, so that's why it's written backwards. Also, you'll notice that it's written in the, word, in the verse, Yaakov here is spelled with an extra letter. In the verse, V'zacharti is Brisa Yaakov, I'll remember the covenant of Jacob. The word Yaakov is spelled Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Vav, Vet, which is an extra letter. You don't normally see the letter Vet, sorry, the letter Vav, in the word Yaakov. Where did that letter come from? There's no extra letters in the Torah, right? If there's an extra letter in someone's name, it means it came from somewhere. Whose name is missing a letter? Eliyahu. We find five times in Tanakh where Yaakov's name is spelled with an extra vav. We find five times in Tanakh Eliyahu's name is spelled without a vav at the end of his name. Eliyahu should have a vav at the end. It's missing. Why? Because Yaakov took with his hand five times the letter vav from the name of Eliyahu as a collateral that Eliyahu would do his job to come and herald the announcement of the coming of Mashiach. That's the job of Elijah, to be able to blow the shofar and tell us Mashiach is coming. And therefore, he took his head from his name, Eliyahu would have to come and to tell us about the coming of Mashiach. Finally, in the verse, it does not mention the word remember by Yitzchak. It says, I will remember the covenant of Yaakov and of Yitzchak, and I will remember the covenant of Avraham, and I will remember the promise of the earth. By Yitzchak, it does not say, I will remember, because when Yitzchak was willing to offer himself up as a sacrifice before God, Hashem always remembers that. It's before Hashem, it says, like the ashes of, Av, of Yitzchak's offering is before Hashem. Remembering is on something that could be forgotten. The sacrifice of Yitzchak will never be forgotten. Therefore, it does not need to be remembered. And this is the greatest of Yitzchak over the other tribe, which, over the other forefather, but also that's for another time. Anyway, let's just com- complete and conclude this Aliyah and the section of the curses. When we read these verses, by the way, we raise our voices. When the Malkorah reads on Shabbat, when we read this Aliyah, we come to the verse with Zacharti, Brisa Yaakov, I'll remember the covenant of Jacob. Then we go back to the loud voice, back to the regular thing, which is you'll notice that the Torah, the Aliyah, starts with blessing. The, this third Aliyah, the curses, starts with blessings. And then it says, and if you won't listen, all the curses. And then the ending is also, Zacharti, Brisa Yaakov, I'll remember the covenant. And the earth will no longer be abandoned of the next verse says, I'm about to finish now the Aliyah, that the earth will no longer be forsaken to be abandoned in order because there will be a peace for the sin of the Jewish people, not even the Shemitah year. And therefore, even when the Jews were in exile, I will not completely abandon them, says Hashem. Meaning, I won't make them disgusting, I'll make leaders amongst the non-Jewish nations from Jews, like the famous example is Daniel, Hanan, Yerushal, and Nazariah. They will not be despised, they'll be considered respected by the non-Jews. I will not reject them. They will have also leaders that will be amongst the Jewish people. I will not ever break my covenant with them, for I am God, their God, and therefore I will always remember this covenant, the Bris Shredim, the original covenant with the Jewish people, that covenant, they'll be in exile, they'll be punished, they'll be forced to atone for their sins. But the covenant, that will never be broken.